Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. Friday morning. Friday morning, I got in my car to come to work, and um, I've mentioned this before. It's taken me a long time to figure this out, but God wants to know us intimately. He wants to know us as not just our Father, not just as our Savior, not just as our Comforter, though He is all those things. He wants to know us as a friend. You know, as a, as a man speaks to a friend, that's how God spoke to Moses. That's how He wants to speak to each and every one of us. And, you know, I've, uh, I'm amazed at how when you... To shut everything out when you determine that you're going to get in the presence of God and just talk to him, how immediately it's available. And I got in the car Friday morning, uh, didn't really have any kind of you know, preconceived ideas or any thoughts. Uh, it might sound kind of weird, but I get in the car, I believe the Holy Spirit's right there next to me, I just say good morning, and he just unloaded on me in the car on the way to work. I have no idea how I got to work, but I somehow showed up at the office. If you were driving to work Friday morning and you saw a white Ford Explorer wandering down I-49 aimlessly, that was me. I do apologize, but I, I made it some kind of way. And he gave me something, and I'm so excited that he gave it to me because I believe it's really going to touch some people. I believe it's something that's practical, something that's going to help. And the reason I'm excited about it is this is not something that I conjured up. This is not something that I researched. This is not something I got on Google, got from somebody else. This is straight from the heart of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it was for this morning that he wants me to share it. Unfortunately, this morning, I had six kids in the van and we were trying to get to work with a per- getting to the church here with a purpose, going way over the speed limit. So I'm going to be ministering out of that overflow this morning, not out of the overflow of Friday morning. <laughs> oh, teasing. Uh, thankfully, we have not been tasked like Mary and Joseph were with keeping Jesus keeping track of Jesus and keeping him you know, here at all times. We don't have to worry about losing him and going and searching around for three days to try to find where we last left him and where he was. He is there. He is present. He is with, with us at all times. He's ever present, always ready to help in our time of need. And just the simple calling on of his name, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are saved. Is the very name of Jesus that we call on, and he is always right there and ready to help. <coughs> and like I said, just, just bear with me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this morning. I know Pastor Mark has asked me a few times before to speak, and usually I do my little, uh, oh, you know, no, well, okay, if I have to, I will. But this time I, I readily agreed, not because I had something, because I did not, but I readily agreed, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm grateful that I did, uh, because I, I, no, I'm going somewhere with this. I, I'm, I'm excited because I woke up this morning, I, I woke up around midnight, one o'clock this morning, 
felt the fire of, of God just burning in my bed. And I stayed awake for probably three hours, just super excited. Um, all kind of things that I, I'm, I'm sure I, I won't be able to repeat or anything like that, but it was just amazing, an amazing time. And then uh, my alarm clock, Evan, woke me up at a quarter six like he does every single morning. Uh, it goes from, goes from zero to daddy up, daddy up, daddy up, you know, and there is no turning him away. You have to get up. So I got up, um, sick as a dog, and uh, ears ringing, totally stopped up, head spinning, could barely walk, you know, I mean, just dizzy as all get out. Um, and instead of being worried or freaked out, I said, sweet, this is going to be good. The devil does not want me, you know, speaking this morning. So I am turning the tables on the devil and I'm going to speak this out. I'm totally fine. Is this my water? Can I use this? It's pretty sad that I, I worked up a sweat. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty pathetic working up a sweat doing that. Thank you. Um, I got something um, yesterday. I heard a saying, what goes in must come out. And if you're not happy with what's coming out of you, you might have to look at what's going into you, you know, and change that. You know, there is no formula of getting into the presence of God. There is no um, 10-step process, you know, or anything like that. Jesus is. The formula, he is the process. It is turning to him. It is turning to the name of Jesus. And that is when he talks to us, he wants to get us where we need to be. And I'm going to read real quick in Exodus 33, 7 through 10. This is something I never, never saw before, but I want to jump into this. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. I'm going to stop right there real quick. I typically read the NASB. I know there's tons of different thoughts out there about the different versions, but that, I, I really don't care about that. Um, but this is one instance where the NASB and some of the translations missed the mark here. Uh, King James, New King James says Moses took his tent. NASB say Moses took the tent. Why is that important? This is something that I never saw before. Exodus 27, uh, starting in Exodus 27 up until Exodus 33, God is meeting with Moses and giving him instructions for the tabernacle of how it's to be built. And then it's not until Exodus chapter 36 uh, that whatever his name is comes along and he's going to be the one that's... Um, that is going to be the one to make the temple fabricated according to the specifications that God gave. So I Googled this, um, trying to see if there was any validity you know, to this, and Google got it wrong. You know, because Google too was talking about this tabernacle that he's talking about here in Exodus 33, is talking about that actually being the tabernacle that the Israelites uh, would meet in, that the presence of God was in, and that is simply not true. It's Moses took his tent. Not the tent. Moses took his own personal tent and was using this as the tabernacle until the other tabernacle was built. The regular tabernacle was not built yet at this point. And why is that significant? It's significant because we must first build our own habitation. The Holy Spirit wants to dwell in and through us before we go 
and start trying to do everything else you know, outside of that. Everything must flow first from inside that our own tabernacle. God is inhabiting us. He is in us. And we must minister out of that overflow of what comes in us. And Moses did that. Moses pitched his tent and he pitched it outside the camp. Sometimes you have to go outside of the camp, you know, in order for the spirit to come. And something else that was cool, if you pass on down uh, to, uh, well, let me just read it. It says, it says, so it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. Never saw that before. When Moses entered into the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud descended, stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. When you enter in to the presence of God, the very presence of God, the person of God, Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, stands at that door and ensures that you have uninterrupted access to the Father. There is nothing coming in from the outside. Everything can be shut out. If you purpose in your heart to enter into the very presence of God, God himself will keep you there. He is jealous for you. He is jealous to spend time with you. He is jealous for your thoughts. He is jealous for your communion. He wants to know you as a friend. He wants to know you personally. He wants to know you intimately. And when you go in, he himself, just like in the days of Noah, he shuts the door. If you will just go in and set aside a time and a place to be with him, and he will meet you where you are. It is in the scriptures. It is real. It is true. It is not a formula. It is just something that happens. It's the way he is. It's the way he does things. And so I just encourage all of us to find that place, to get into that place. The, the time when you're dealing with the situation, when you, when you have something coming against you, or when you have somebody standing in front of you that needs help, that is not the time to go and try to seek out the presence of God. We must live and dwell and have our being in Him and through Him. And that is when mountains move. Moses was obsessed with seeking the face of God. And Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the very express image of God. Moses was obsessed with seeing Jesus. And that must be our same obsession, is seeing Jesus, is finding Jesus, finding the face of Jesus. And the goal is transformation. You know, uh, I think it's Romans 12... To something like that, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, and so conform versus transform, I, I looked it up. To conform is to simply behave, this is, I think, according to Webster's, behave according to socially acceptable conventions or standards. It's pretty easy to do. If you want to be conformed to this world, all you have to do is just do what's socially acceptable, go with the flow, go with it. It's pretty easy. Everybody does it. But to be transformed, according to Merriam-Webster, is to change in composition or structure, or even better, according to dictionary.com, it is to change into another substance. So to be transformed is not a fun process. You know, there is a, uh, Cody P talked about it a few uh, weeks ago when he shared, talking about how the God is an all-consuming fire. You know, we have to go through this purging fire where he cleanses and purges away all the imperfections 
And it's not a feel-good process. You know, the pruning that has to happen is not a feel-good process. It's a necessary process, but it's not one that we care for. You know, oftentimes we catch ourselves praying, God, remove the hammer and the chisel. I can't take this anymore. But God's saying, I ha- there is something in this rock uh, I think I might share that before. I think it was Michelangelo or whatever. You know, they, they were asking him, they, whoever they were, but um, somebody was asking when it was recorded, you know, how is it that you make these incredible sculptures? You know, how is it that you, you know, can see this and make it come to light? And, you know, he said something which didn't help me in the least, but he said, I, there, I, all I'm doing is removing the extra to bring to light what's already there. I already see the image that I'm trying to bring and I'm just chipping away at everything else until I see what I had in my head starts to appear in front of me. Again, it doesn't help me at all because I don't have that capability at all. You know, but that is exactly what the Spirit of God does. That is exactly how he works on us is he sees who he created us to be and what he's looking for in us, and he's going to chip away, if we allow him, he's going to chip away until he becomes revealed in us. And that is what he's looking for. It's not about our ministry. It's not about what he wants to use us for, what he wants to do with us. He is first after making us into his image and likeness, transforming us into the image of his son. That is what he is after. And if we would just but surrender to him, he will work on it, but we have to trust the process. We have to give in to that and not always think that it's the devil coming against us when we're going through something that feels like it hurts. So the title, title number one, we'll see if I go to title number two. Uh, Amy knows what it is. I'll, I'll look at her and see if she gives me approval to say title number two. So title number one is what is paralyzing you? And so I got this phrase, um, I guess, I don't know, three weeks ago, something like that. Um, I, if I can just be transparent, now I'm going to say something that might shock y'all. I am not perfect. doesn't matter what Amy says about me. I'm not perfect. <laughs> I, ha- I have my imperfections. And um, it was July, actually, last year. I woke up on a Saturday morning and God told me, I mean, I heard this clear as day. He told me to start putting together writings and posting them on Facebook. Writing is not something I remotely enjoyed or even thought I was even halfway decent at. Let me move this before I fall. Um, I didn't even have a Facebook account. And so I opened up a Facebook account. I said, okay, Lord, I'll be obedient. I opened up the Facebook account and I started posting stuff and God was giving me some very cool things. Again, stuff that I you know, could not conjure up on my own. It was things that were definitely coming out of him, not out of my intellect. I am not a smart person. Jeremy can attest to that. Jeremy and I went to his grade school together all our lives. He was the smart one. I was not. When, 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 when things would get scored, if you remember the, the, the red carpet room, that's what we called it. It's where Jeremy and I were. And, uh, you know, you turn in your tests and you'd hear the teachers, you know, scoring. I remember one time, one time, I can remember, Jeremy probably remembers it too, Jeremy got a bad grade. It's like the one time in his life he got a bad grade. It was in math. And I remember hearing the teachers scoring it. And I remember them whispering. I don't, know, I don't know if you heard that or if you were there, but I remember at clearest day, they were whispering, they were like, the answer key must be wrong. 
There is no way Jeremy missed five questions or whatever it was because you got a 76. You had to make an 80 to pass and he got a 76 and he was heartbroken. And the teachers were shocked. I mean, the earth stood still. And, uh, and so they, they, I think they let you like read it or something. Like, there is no way you learn the information or whatever. So, yeah, they just let you redo it. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you're good. There's no way Jeremy didn't get, understand this information. Me, on the other hand, when I turned in the test, you know, I just hear because they, uh, they would score on this big, it wasn't glass, but it was this really hard surface table. And you could just hear the X's, X, 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 X. And I'd hear the lady doing it, sighing. Oh, yeah, just X, and then she'd come up to me, Gabriel. You're gonna have to read this again. I'm gonna have to tell your dad. My dad owned the school, so he was the principal and my dad, and so I got spanked twice. Uh, every time, every time I'd fail, which was pretty frequent. So I was not, I, I was not the smart guy. That was Jeremy. So having these things coming out of me was coming out of the spirit you know that was in me this was not at all something that was coming out of my intellect and so i started doing these posts they were really great uh next thing you knew it you know people were starting to uh respond getting some thumbs up uh getting some shares uh likes you know whatever all this stuff is and uh i even had some people um went out with some people they're not even saved and uh, I remember she was telling there's two or three separate people, and they were telling me, hey, we've been reading your posts, and they just mean so much to us. Uh, thank you for doing this. And I'm like, really? Oh, my gosh. You know, why haven't you liked? Why haven't you subscribed? You know, whatever. Um, you know, so I started to feel like I was getting a spirit of pride, you and me. It's like, okay, I felt like I was starting to uh, make the posts and then uh, quick, keep on refreshing to see, hey, has anybody liked it? Has anybody commented? Has anybody done anything? Uh, then I started feeling convicted about it. So what I did is I would delete the app. I would make my post and then delete the app and be like, okay, I'm just not going to look at it. You know, whatever happens, happens. You know, I'll, I'll recreate my account again whenever it comes time to do the next, you know, post. And so that went on. You know, that went on for a while. Until I eventually just stopped altogether. I said, okay, I've got spiritual pride. Uh, so rather than deal with it, I just shut it all down. said, all right, I'm done. Um, and so what happened was I became stagnant. And so I got with, uh, with Pastor Mark. We broke bread, wings, and salad. <laughs> and I told him, I said, look, I, I said, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm dealing with some spiritual pride here. Um, really not sure how to deal with it. I recognize that I'm not uh, moving, you know, as, as I should be or as I was, um, but I don't want to start doing things again and opening myself up to, uh, to pride. And, you know, it's amazing how a man of God can always have a word of wisdom, you know, for you, which, which he did. You know, I mean, he, he, he said some things that really, that really ministered to me. Uh, and it was really good. I mean, it was encouraging. It wasn't a, uh, you know, yeah, Gabe, you know, this is ridiculous that you are through. You know, I don't, I don't want to ever want to see you with a mic again. Um, you know, he was very encouraging, as he always is. Um, well, the next, the next morning on my way to work, uh, again, as, as, as normal, I'm talking to the Holy Spirit, and I heard those words, what is paralyzing you? 
And so I, uh, just jokingly, I you know, rummaged around in my car, found my self-righteous hat, put that on, tied it on tight, you know, made sure it wasn't loose. And I gave my response saying, well, Lord, um, I don't want to uh, ever, ever function out of uh, spiritual pride. Um, so I'm just choosing not to do this. I want to be pure. I want to be clean. I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to do all those things before I you know, ever you know, do anything ever again. Um, and I'm expecting uh, a pat on the back, a, uh, wow, Gabe, that's so mature of you. Um, I wish more Christians were like you. Um, that's not at all what I heard. I heard God reply back to me. And what he told me, let me see. Let me see, because I wrote it down. Stop, this is exactly what I heard. Stop believing the lie you are being fed. Those thoughts did not come from me, but from the one who is looking to keep you paralyzed. So I was shocked. I, I, you know, that was, not, that was not at all the response you know, I, was, I was looking for. And so stepping back, you know, started to examine, okay, what is going on here? Um, I have been choosing to believe a lie that has caused me to become paralyzed. I'm not. I, I was not. You know, looking back at it now, okay, I'm not going to say that, you know, I wasn't looking for some things, but I really believe that pride was not an issue. It was a lie, a thought planted there by the devil to keep me paralyzed, to try to get me out because there was some good that was coming out of this. I wasn't backslidden. You know, I wasn't doing anything, you know, or, or anything like that. I was functioning and moving in the spirit. What, I was doing what he had last told me to do, which was to write and to post. He never told me to stop. He told me to do it, and so I instead chose to follow after a false self-humility, a false self-righteousness, you know, in an effort to try to draw closer to God, you know, when I stopped doing the very thing that he told me to do. And so what is paralyzing you? That is a question that I believe that he's asking, and shortly after I got that, I, and let me just say this, I am so super grateful for a wife who is 100% led by the Spirit of God. If any of you have ever been around Amy, you will know um, that she is, um, she is incredible. Her insight that she has, the wisdom that she has, is second to none, and she's usually not afraid to say exactly what she's thinking, especially to me, and, and it's awesome. I'm learning I'm learning to work together. It's not about me uh, or her or anything like that. I heard, I heard God say a few months ago, and it brought me to tears, that he did not bring us together just for raising a family, but he brought us together for the advancing of his kingdom. And even if that's one person at a time, that's fine. I'm not concerned about all of that. What I'm excited about is that we're on this journey together, you know, her and I, hand in hand, we're having an awesome time. You know, so yes, we have a terrific family. Next August, in August of next year, we will have been married for 20 years. That's insane. Uh, don't look like I'm 50. But um, so we've been married for, for, for almost 20 years. We've had six, six children. She looks better and better every year. And I'm the one that looks like I carried all six, all six of the kids. It's not fair, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, that's my, that's what I contribute to the, uh, to the arrangement. 
I get the sympathy pregnancies. She loses all the weight right away. Me, no. I, you know, I, I don't. It just keeps on growing. And so I just want to encourage, just real quick, because one of the things that she told me, we were leaving church. It was right after I heard the phrase, you know, what, are, uh, what is paralyzing you? That was on a Friday morning. That Sunday we came to church. And as we're leaving, we're on the street right in front of the church building, leaving the parking lot. Amy turns to me. I don't remember what we were talking about. She turns to me and said, Gabe, when are you going to preach again? Out of the blue. She said, Gabe, when are you going to preach again? I don't even know what I said. I'm sure it was some very smart, you know, uh, profound, you know, thing. Um, And she responded by saying, Gabe, there is something in you that people need to hear. And, And she's... Absolutely right, you know, and um, if, if however many married men there are, you know, in here, Cody, I'm including you because you will be, That's it. listen to your wives. Hey. When they give you, <laughs> men and women <laughs> are two totally different playing fields. You know, if you've ever heard the joke before, I remember what the guy's name is, but he talks about the nothing box. You know, how men and women are wired, you know, totally different. You know, women have all these, you know, connections and there's just all these things going on. Women don't know how to shut things down. They're always connecting all the dots. You know, but men, we've got a nothing box and that is where we live 99% of the time. You know, Amy can look at me and be like, what are you thinking about? And I can truly 100% honestly say, absolutely nothing. You know, my brain is shut down. Uh, I, have been, I am in la-la land. There is nothing going on upstairs. Uh, and it, it takes some, it, sometimes it takes uh, some pushing to get me out of that, uh, to get me out of that box. But anyway, women are very, very perceptive um, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm a lot more of a surface guy, you know, I'm, I'm much more simple, you know, but women are oftentimes a lot more detailed. And so I just encourage any married man in here to appreciate who God has paired you with. You know, he has paired you with that person for a reason. He, he, just as he formed you, just as he knew you from before he formed the foundations of the earth, he also had it, uh, as King James would say, in help meet that was prepared for you. And that is exactly what that person does. They help you. And I need help. We all need help. You know, we help each other, you know, and so do not despise that. Amen. Um, sorry, just totally, totally off track there. Um, and so it's important, it's important to examine, you know, if, if, we're, if there's any part of our lives, if we're being paralyzed, you know, in our lives, you know, it, because again, it's all about our habitation. It's all about having a habitation and ministering out of Him. Um, but there are things that follow believers. You know, and it's not seeking after the manifestation. I'm not seeking after the manifestation of Him. I'm seeking after Him. But manifestations do follow. Um, and so I, I want to say something here because oftentimes what paralyzes us, and I'm going to get into this vision that I had Friday. Uh, which I thought was just super cool. Um, but the th- there's thoughts. There's um, all kind of things that, that can come against you. There could even be physical sicknesses. There can be multiple different things that can come against you all in an attempt to paralyze you and keep you still. And if you can recognize them for what they are, just even that alone sometimes can lead you into freedom. 
But I want to say something that for people who are believers, you know, there's some people that really aren't going through uh, necessarily any kind of tangible thing they can put their finger on, but it's important that we help other believers because there are plenty of people that are going through some things that do need, that do need some help from time to time. And, um, and it's important. I listened to Bill Johnson, Todd White, a uh, handful of others, you know, off, uh, a lot, you know, on, on, on YouTube, uh, listen to worship music a lot on YouTube. But that can't be our only source of where we're getting, I don't know how to put it. That can't be our only source of where we're getting um, information or, or anything to, it's not about information. We're not, we cannot reach people. People cannot change through a head knowledge, through a transforming, through a transferring of our intellect from ourselves to someone else. It has to be spirit talking to spirit, that spirit's within me, has to be ministering to the spirit that's in each and every one of us. And that is what has to be, that is what has to come alive. That's something that Pastor Mark talks about a lot, about the renewing of your mind, you know, starting to align yourself with the spirit man that's alive in you versus the flesh that's constantly at war with the spirit. They're always butting heads. You know, the flesh does not want the spirit to succeed. And the spirit's constantly telling your mind, hey, look at me, the price has already been paid. Forget about what your flesh is telling you to do or to not do. Focus on the spirit that's in, that's in you. And so 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, this is a scripture verse that a lot of um, people use for spiritual warfare, and, I, and I'm not against spiritual warfare at all. It, it's, it's great. Um, but verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I'd like to say in verse 4 where it says the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but powerful for the destruction of fortresses. I believe those fortresses or those strongholds, depending on what version you're reading, are mountains of deceit that are placed in front of us by Satan. These mountains give birth to the very thoughts and lies that paralyze people in their current state. And we can sometimes catch ourselves spending a lot of time focused on binding all sorts of things, you know, binding all sorts of devils and things, but sometimes neglect the very demonstration of his love and truth, showing others that how they see themselves is not at all the way God sees them. The encountering and the inhabitation of the presence and peace of God is where lies are destroyed, where thoughts are taken into submission, and where mountains are cast into the sea. If we cannot function out of the presence and peace of God regularly, then how can we instruct others to do so or be ready when someone is standing in front of you ready and in desperate need of a touch? And just to give you an example, you know, I had this guy come into my office, uh, I think it was Wednesday, Thursday, and... Um, you know, it's just, I'm, again, like I said, I'm a simple person. I'm not ex extremely observant. You know, it takes a few times sometimes to get my attention. So I'm sitting there in my office, plugging away, doing something. I don't know what I was doing, but I'm sitting there looking at my screen. A uh, guy comes in uh, my office. He's holding his coffee cup, and he's just like, hey, Gabe. You know, I'm like, hey, what's up? Yeah, and he's like, uh, oh, nothing much. And he's just kind of standing there, just kind of chilling. And I look at him, I'm like, 
everything good? He's like, yep. Okay, I'll talk to you later. And he walks out. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll get back to work. Like I said, I'm slow. Um, so I hear him uh, a few minutes later. He's rummaging around in uh, a room next to me. He's getting some stuff. And he comes in my office again. He's like, hey, babe, just want to let you know I was getting you know, some things out of this room uh, you know, so I can work on such and such, such, such. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's fine. And he leaves. And then he comes in my office again a few minutes later with, back with his coffee cup. And he comes in here and he's like, hey, Gabe. And finally, I'm like, I wonder, you know, is there something going on here? So I asked him, I said, you okay? And uh, he goes, yeah. And I said, no, really. You know, so I'm not talking about, you know, in the natural or anything like that. I said, is there something that you're dealing with? Um, I said, are, are, you, uh, fr- are you, and this is where the Holy Spirit kicks in. So are you frustrated with trying to determine what your purpose in life is? And he just, you know, eyes got kind of big, and he's like, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly it. And I, this is not something I do very often, but I just had the spirit of prophecy just came on me right then and there and just started prophesying into his life. This is somebody who is super intelligent. I work in an office full of very, very smart uh, people. And he's a young guy, one of the smartest people I've ever met. You know, and I was able to tell him, you know, exactly of how God is going to use him, how God sees him, and what his purpose in in life, what he's been going through, and what God is going to bring him through over the next two years, and just, you know, just how God sees him, and he broke. I mean, he just, you know, that completely set him free. That is not something that can be taught, that can be learned in our intellect, that is not something that we can gain just by the simple reading of scriptures, by reading a daily devotion, or by anything like that, that can only come out of a place of having a habitation with him and spending time in his presence because we have to settle it once and for all that the Holy Spirit wants to touch the lives of the people that we encounter on a day-to-day basis, and he wants to use you to reach those people. You know, so it's not about you. It's not about what you can muster up. It's not about the intellect. It's not what kind of, how many scripture verses you can memorize, although all that's, that's all fine and good. You know, but you have to be able to recognize and move in and flow in the presence of God because that is what's going to set the captives free. That is what's going to minister joy in your own life. And that is just is what just propels you, you know, to keep moving on and moving forward you know, when you start to see the fruit of God you know, becoming manifest in your life. And, uh, you know, there's an example I heard of uh, somebody, I don't remember what I was, uh, I remember what I was listening to, some kind of Christian thing. Um, but some guy, you know, they're having all these issues now with all these, you know, shoot, school shootings and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and this was somewhere in Texas. Uh, I think it was Texas. This uh, school principal called in uh, a, a pastor. And, uh, and this particular pastor had a heart for uh, teenagers, had a heart for children. And um, so he said, hey, we have this 13-year-old boy that we have marked as a shooter, uh, a, a, a I forget what the technical term was, but a probable shooter, you know, something like that, because he's apparently made some postings. He's made, you know, talked about it, you know, and things like that. Uh, He's 13 years old. And so he said, will you come in and talk with him? Uh, He said, we can't, we can't talk to him. He said, we we call him in the office and he just sits there and is quiet. Uh, He doesn't say a word. Uh, Both of his parents um, are no longer alive. He's being raised by his grandfather. um, And he just... Uh, he, he's just unresponsive to, to any attempts that we make to try to reach out to him. 
Uh, so the pastor said, you know, absolutely, yes, let me come. Uh, let me come and talk with him. So uh, they go in. The, uh, he goes to the school, goes to the principal's office. They call the the young boy in there, and um, the guy, the the pastor asks him. He says, "How do you see yourself, or what do you see when you look at yourself?" And he said he did get the the boy to say one word, and he said, Invinci- in, "Invisible." And uh, he said, "Okay." He said, "So you see yourself as invisible? Um, nobody notices you or anything like that?" He said, "Yes." So he said something because he had the Spirit of God just come on him because it's not something that I would have thought as a follow-up question you know, to somebody who has no desire for God you know, or anything, but he follows up with the question, how does love see you? Okay, I mean, who, who would think to ask that to a 13-year-old you know, who has no concept of God you know, or anything like that whatsoever? He asks him, what does, what, how does love see you? And he answered him, he said, love sees me as an anointed musician. And so all of a sudden, he's just like, you know, whoa, you know, where, where did this come from? He went and bought him a guitar, uh, brought it to his uh, grand, grandfather's uh, house, you know, met him at his grandfather's house, gave him the guitar, told his grandfather what he had told him. So the grandfather put him in music lessons. The kid went in a year's time, went from being on this list, failing, I mean, just the, the, the biggest problem child in school, to being fl- flowing in music, you know, playing music all the time, the highest grades in the school. You know, his, his total world changed, you know, all because of a man that was moving with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit knew the words to reach the spirit that was crying out in this young boy of how this young boy was to be reached. Because in, in our natural minds, we would not have thought you know, of that. You know, as Christians, a lot of us would have just been immediately just rebuking, casting out, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying some of that stuff's not needed. You know, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what is needed in each and every situation. And it is our responsibility to be co-laborers with him. We're not doing this on our own, tagging him along, saying, God, you know, interject when I start doing something stupid. You know, no, we are co-laborers with him. We are the vessels for his glory. We are the vessels for his presence. We are the vessels for his anointing. And we just take that anointing wherever it is that he wants to go. And that is how we flow. Um, So the vision. Um, I'm going to be as specific with this because I believe there's importance in detail. So um, I saw a field. I knew it was a field, but there was no grass. It was just bare dirt. And this, this, this field was covered in seeds. Now, only I could see the seeds because they were below the surface. You know, so the, and I saw them. There was a bunch of little white seeds you know, all over the place. They were below the surface. And through the middle of this brown field, as far as the eye can see, just this brown field, there's a sidewalk that just goes right in between. And as I'm watching, here comes the devil and his little minions skipping along, literally skipping down the sidewalk. Now I saw them, this is what's weird, I saw them as just innocent looking, I mean, honestly, they looked almost like children. They did not look like gargoyles and, you know, crazy things. You know, Jeremy can remember, you know, uh, my parents knew some lady who uh, had uh, been given visions of revelations, and so she had painted all the uh, visions of revelation and give all, given all the pictures uh, to my parents, and we had them all up in the uh, 
in the church building, they'd freak you out. And, uh, and I remember because our school was in a portion of the church building, and we had these pretty cool, you know, we only had like 40, 50 students, something like that. And so we had these little fold-down desks. So when we were done with school on Thursdays, the desks would all fold up, disappear into the wall. So that way when church would come uh, Sunday morning, you really didn't have no idea that there was a school there. Everything just kind of disappeared, was moved out of the way. But those pictures stayed up. And so you as a little kid, you're sitting there uh, doing your schoolwork, and you're looking up at these uh, pictures hanging on the wall. And I remember the one that was over my desk for a long time. You know, and I would I would think about that picture as I'm you know taking a test or thinking about cheating or something like that. I mean, like, you know, I do not, <clears throat> I do not want that thing coming up out of the ground and eating me. <laughs> so I see these. I, I see. I know it's the devil. I know it's these uh, his demons literally skipping, you know, and they were like happy. Uh, it was really weird. They were happy. And each one of them was carrying a white five-gallon bucket. And that white five-gallon bucket was piled to the top with the most foul-smelling, stinkiest manure that you, can, that you can fathom. And what they were doing is they were skipping along. They were scanning the ground, you know, looking at the same, looking at the same ground that I was, and they were looking for any sign of sprouting. They were looking for anything starting to poke out of the surface, you know, looking for any slight sign of growth. And as soon as one would spot that, he would take his five-gallon bucket, dump the entire contents of that five-gallon bucket on this tiny little sprout, and they would all laugh and then take off and look for the next one. And there, there was another part of that that I'm, I'm going to get to in just a minute. But what I understood that manure to be is the thoughts, the lies, you know, all these things that the devil wants to come and just keep dumping on you. As soon as you feel like you're starting to have any growth, you're starting to see, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, you know, you've just broken through the surface, I see the sun, and then here you go, boom, here's another bucket you know, of, of manure piled on top of you. And that is, what, that is what the devil's here for. That is what he's here to do. He's here to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and, the, and this is just how I saw it. It was just a super vivid picture. And so, you know, I started thinking about it again. I'm gonna, get back to, I'm gonna get back to the vision. But in the life of Joseph, you know, I always like looking at Joseph. There was many people in the Bible who went through a lot of things. Uh, Job, I mean, there's just so many people that you could pick on. Uh, but Joseph is a classic one, you know, to pick on because he's one that uh, I think it was 30 years old before he became elevated uh, by Pharaoh. So he spent uh, 13 years, at least 13 years of his life. He was taken slave as when he was 17, but he spent his whole life up until the time of 30, constantly getting a bucket dumped on top of him. I mean, he, he lost his mother, you know, when Benjamin was born. His own brother sold him into slavery, wanted to kill him, but, you know, God spared him and, you know, sold him into slavery where he was a slave for 13 years. Of that time being a slave, we don't know how much of that time, at least as far as I know, we don't know how much of that time was spent in prison. You know, he was falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison. And the crazy part is, you know, so all all this looks bad, you know, and us as Christians, we would be looking at Joseph saying, "Uh, Joseph, what doors did you open? Uh, you know, you need some prayer. You, you've obviously opened up some doors. Um, you know, we, we're going to start praying for, over you. Uh, you need to start fasting, you know, all this kind of stuff. Again, I'm not putting any of that down, 
but we have to use we have to use the spirit of wisdom that's in us. And so I want to read real quick with this Genesis 39, 20 through 23. Genesis 39, 20 through 23. And actually, I might just read through 21. Um, but it says, so Joseph, this is after Joseph is accused of rape. It says, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison and been 21 but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the warden of the prison. And all the way at the end of 23, it says, the Lord was with him and the Lord made whatever he did prosper. He's still in prison. He was not out of prison, you know, during this time frame. You know, and so it's like, okay, God sees him. He has favor on him. Everything is doing prospering. He's still in prison. You know, when he was when he was acting, when he was under Potiphar, you know, controlling his house, he was still a slave. You know, and everything that he touched prospered. God blessed him. God did all these things. And so we're always looking to the environment, always saying, "Oh, you know, remove these circumstances. You know, get me rid of, get rid of this." But I want to say that in light of you know this this vision that I had, and this is this is a part of it. I saw the angels coming up to God and saying, God, what are we going to do? You know, they keep seeing these devil, devils coming, and every time there's a little sprout, any, anytime somebody starts to finally grow or see a breakthrough or start to, you know, start to come up and start to turn to you, you know, these devils are there just there to just keep dumping these buckets. And you know what? God was not the least bit concerned. He was not in a panic. He was not like, I haven't thought of how we're going to overcome this. What are we going to do? I don't have a plan. He didn't say none of that. He started to laugh. And he said, what they don't realize is that the very thing that they are dumping on top of them is the very thing that's going to shoot them out because it's fertilizer. This manure that they just keep dumping on them is doing nothing more than just fertilizing them. So that, And what it's doing also, too, is it's covering it up. If you can picture this little sprout, and here's this, pile, this great big pile of manure on top of them. All of a sudden, guess what? You're hidden. And so God is working on the root system down underneath the surface, developing these roots in you. This little seed and this spirit that he's put in you, he formed you out of the dust of the ground. He breathed his very life into you. Everything that you need is put into that seed and he's breathing his life into you. He is expanding that root system. So that way, whenever it is your time, just like it was with Joseph, he had to wait two years after he interpreted the cupbearer's dream and said, you're gonna be restored back to Pharaoh, please remember me. The cupbearer took two years before he finally remembered, oh, Joseph, I forgot about him in prison. If he would have got Joseph out of prison right then and there, Joseph would probably not have had the opportunity to stand before Pharaoh and interpret his dream and be elevated to the position that he was, saving the land of Egypt, saving his family, you know, in the whole nine yards. The whole thing was just a snowball effect from there. So don't despise the timing. Don't despise the process, you know, that we go through because the longer you're sitting there on it, the more it's getting dumped on you. God's laughing, saying, watch this. We're going to turn the tables. The very thing that keeps just getting poured on you and dumped on you, I'm going to turn into something so great that as soon as this, as soon as this seed finally does sprout and begins to blossom, 
all this fertilizer, it's been there, it's just been enriching it, it's been, it's been forming these roots, you know, so strong and so powerful. The wind's gonna come, everything's gonna blow, things are gonna try to knock it down, but it can't because you have spent time, you know, in the presence of God, allowing him to work on you, even though the world might look at it and see, man, you've, you're covered in crap. You know, what's all this going on with you? But it's, it's going up, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a process that's being worked out. And so don't worry about what people see, don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about, you know, what the eye sees. Amy had a word about that a few months ago, you know, about sometimes when we pray for something and, you know, it's easy to get discouraged if we don't see an instant, um, you know, an instant response, an instant answer, you know, to that question. We're like, oh, well, God, well, that didn't work. You know, what's the deal? And God told her, he said, how are you judging that nothing worked? You're using your natural eyes to look and see something that you prayed for. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And you're using your natural eyes to look at a situation and say, well, God's not at work because I don't see it with my natural eyes. And he's like, look below the surface. You know, you can't see below the surface with the natural eyes. God is working. He's, a, he's at, in a, doing a deep work in us underneath the surface. And I'm telling you, if you don't despise the process, he will allow this to just transform you and to where you just go. And as soon as you sprout, sprout through all, all of this, you're going straight to the sun. And that's what he's saying. He's, he's just laughing. He's like, because watch. You know, as soon as they're going to come up, he, all the devil's doing is just pushing them closer and closer to me you know, because this is just going to propel them forward. And so, like I said, it's, it's important not to despise you know, this process that's going on. And... Um, you know, it's easy to look to, you know, and say, well, I'm not uh, worthy of this. You know, I've done all these things. I've, you don't know the kind of thoughts that I have. You don't know the things that I've done. You know, but we have examples. You know, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life being trained by Egyptian gods, Egyptian rituals. Uh, I have no idea what all kind of pagan stuff you know, was being, you know, was being, his mind was being filled with. And at the end of 40 years, he finally killed a man and ran away. You know, he is not uh, what you would consider to be, you know, the, the God's first choice, um, but he was. And in fact, in, in Exodus, uh, I think that's Exodus 33, 10, it says, um, it might be later than that, or Exodus 33, 11, says, so the Lord would, would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to a friend, you know, and that is what that is what we're after. It's not about what we've been through. It's not about what we're going through. It's about seeing God at work in the process. It's about seeing, like it was back in Genesis thirty-nine, where it says that God was with Joseph. God was work. God blessed Joseph. God was prospering him, even though it didn't look like it. He was proper prospering that root system because you know what? Most of us, if we would have finally been called out after two years. We just interpreted the dream for the cupbearer and then nothing happened. We're still trapped in prison. A lot of us would turn, have turned to despair. You know, and say, well, God forgot about me. God, what's the deal? You know, why haven't I been set free? Uh, I did what you told me to do. I was faithful. You know, here comes buckets. You know, just dumping on you, dumping on you, dumping on you. And then finally, here comes an opportunity where somebody says, hey, Pharaoh's calling you to come interpret your dream. You don't have time to go fast and pray and repent for the last two years of, uh, oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, you know, please give me the strength to interpret this dream. He was ready. 
He was ready. You know, when they, when they called him up out of that prison, they immediately brought him into the presence of the king. I mean, this was not a, they didn't give him seven days, you know, 14 day, you know, type of thing to prepare himself and get himself in the presence of God or anything like that. He stayed in the habitation, even though he was in the prison, even though things didn't look good, he stayed in that habitation that God had prepared for him. And it's important to, to note here, God does not bring, God is not the one dumping the bucket on you. This does not come from God. It is the devil that's always trying to dump all this stuff on top of you. This is not from God. It is, it is very important because sometimes it's easy to blame God and say, well, God put me here to teach me this. He did not put you there to teach you it, but he works all things together for good for those that love him. And so when the devil comes and does this in your life, God says, you know what? I'm gonna work this out for good and we're gonna see the greater good come of this thing. And so it's important to not blame God, but to rather turn to him and say, you know what, I'm thankful to you. I thank you that you see what's going on here. And I trust you. I trust you that you see me. And I thank you that you are working out in me what needs to be worked out as I'm waiting for this situation to clear, whatever it might be. God, I trust you in the process. I trust your timing, you know, with it all. But in the meantime, God, work on me. Amen. David. David had an affair, you know, with a lady and then had her husband killed. But he was a man after God's own heart. God, God chose him. Paul, Paul said Abraham and Sarah, he recorded them in Hebrews 11 as heroes of the faith. So God knows our hearts. God knows our thoughts. Jesus himself is standing there in the, in the tent telling Abraham and Sarah when they're 90 and 91 years old, you're gonna have a baby. And Sarah laughs, not out loud, but in her heart. Jesus hears her thoughts and says, why did you laugh? She says, I did not laugh. And he said, yes, you did. And there was a, no, it wasn't an argument. But God still fulfilled the promise. And they were still recorded as heroes of the faith, even though they doubted, even though she laughed. I mean, you would like to think, oh, you laugh in the face of God. You know, lightning's immediately coming to strike you down. You know, I mean, no. You know, we, we, we need to change our perspective. God does not see us for the situation that we're in. He does not see us for where we're at spiritually, you know, for the insights that we have currently. He sees us for who we are, who he's created us to be, who he's forming us to be, and he sees the end game. And if we want to be able to minister freedom, we have to be able to see ourselves for the way that God sees us. If I can't see who I am in him, how am I supposed to see who you are in him? How am I supposed to reach you? How am I supposed to deliver, help you be delivered out of a situation or give you courage in a situation when I myself am feeling down. I myself am feeling inadequate. I myself am just feeling like, uh, you know, I just can't get ahead. You know, the devil's got my number and he's just, you know, I, you know, I, I did a horrible thing this week and I, you know, I had these thoughts. Uh, I had pride. I had, you know, whatever. It's like enough. That's not who you are. You've been created a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. It doesn't mean thoughts are going to stop trying to come their way. It doesn't mean that things are going to stop. We didn't sign up for it. You did not get saved from something. You're getting saved to something. And we want to think that we're being saved from our situations, that we're being saved from our circumstances, that we're being saved, you know, from all these things, you know, that are coming against us. But if we step back and realize that we're being saved to something, we're being saved to his likeness, we're being saved to his image, then we can 
we can learn to appreciate. I'm not going to say it's fun because it's not, but we can start to understand the process. You know, just like you know, this morning, I feel great right now. I feel fine. My ears are ringing. I did not feel like playing drums or anything like that. Didn't even feel like coming, to be honest with you. But I've, I've, like I said, I'm a slow learner, but I'm learning enough to recognize whenever something's coming against me to realize, hey, this has opportunity to be good. You know, so to turn this on the, to turn these tables back on him, you know, back on the devil and say, you know what, I'm not even going to, I don't even mess anymore with trying to talk to the devil. He's not worth my time. I'm only going to exalt and magnify him and say, God, I love you. I thank you. You see me. You know my situation. You're working everything out. I trust in you. God, I praise you. I exalt you. Your name be lifted high. It's not about me. It's about you. You're at work here. I trust you. And I promise you, that gets you way further than sitting there wearing yourself out, trying to, trying to beat back at the devil, saying, you know, devil this, devil that. You will not this. You will not that. Forget about him. He's not worth your breath. He's not worth, he's not worth that. All he's doing is carrying around this bucket. You know, just trying to dump on you. You know, but here's title number two. Crap can fertilize promises. You know? God has promised. God has promised. We all have so many promises that God has given to us. And if it takes what the devil's dumping on us to get us there, then I say so be it. Saul himself. Saul was persecuting Christians. He's killing people. He's, he's putting men and women in prison. They are being killed. And he's, he just went to the religious leaders and said, hey, I want to make this show bigger. I want to take the show on the road. Uh, can I expand my territory here? Uh, so they said, yeah, sure. You can go to Damascus and start you know, capturing some people over there. So there he goes. And here comes God. You know, uh, Pastor Mark and I were talking about it. Uh, I, I think we both had a, a similar uh, thought, you know, on, on the life of Saul uh, without even realizing it. You know, it's just the Spirit of God is just in sync. You know, he's not saying one thing to one person, something to somebody else. But I just saw a couple weeks ago, uh, I'm just sitting in my garage working. I don't know what I'm doing, but working with something with wood, I'm sure. And I just heard Saul, you know, just, just popped in my head. I've always been bothered by the fact that Saul got knocked off of his horse and I've always thought, you know, God, how come you went against his will and, you know, uh, set him ablaze for you? God, if you just show up to me, you know, and and knock me off my horse and make me blind for three days and say, hey, go see uh, this man and he's going to uh, heal you and the Holy Spirit himself is just going to start depositing everything into you. Yeah, I'd follow after you too. You know, so God, you know, where, where's, my, where's my Damascus, you know, experience? You know, I'd say. But I never realized, you know, until, the, like I said, I was sitting there just working and I saw the life of Saul, you know, because later on, once his name's changed to Paul, you know, he talks about how, you know, he was the best of the best. I mean, he went after this with all of his heart. You know, he was doing what he thought was right. But how many of you really think that he was happy in what he was doing? I would say that he was probably very miserable, you know, in what he was going after. And I think so many of us are, you wear yourself out, 
trying to do something for God, and you wonder why you don't have any joy. You wonder why, hey, if anything, I feel a little bit more miserable uh, than I was before. And sometimes it's maybe it wasn't God's will, you know, for you to be doing this. And I believe Saul was crying out in his heart to saying, God, what is going on? Why am I so miserable? I am doing all of these things. I am. I know the law forwards and backwards. I follow the Ten Commandments. I am, you know, the best of the best. You know, why do I still feel like that? Like I feel? And God, in His mercy, visited him and turned his life around. Amen. He did not go against His will. I firmly believe that He did not go against His will. He responded to His His pleas for for help. So Saul, I mean, he ended up writing half the New Testament or whatever it was. I mean, somebody who made a a career of persecuting God's people and God chose him. So who are we to think, oh man, I had that thought again. Well, God can't use me this week. But that's what we do. That's what we allow this bucket to do is to dump on us and be like, well, I'm back at square one. You know, light's gone. You know, I'm back under here. I've got three feet now of stuff I got to pile through, you know, before I can get back to where I was. And that's the exact plan of the devil is to paralyze you, you know, to keep you where you're at, to keep you focused on what's coming against you. And all it is, is just a simple, I know it, I don't want to oversimplify because I know that there's legitimate things that people go through. You know, I get it. You know, but there is a time when we have to learn to trust the process. We have to learn to be able to see that God is at work in our lives and we have to surrender to him once and for all and just say, God, you know, let go of my life. Use me as you see. Purge out of me what you need to purge out. If the devil just keeps dumping bucket loads, guess what? Whenever I'm finally passed through this thing, I'm going, you know, I'm going all the way. Nothing's going to stop me once I start poking through the surface. And so, how am I doing on time? Okay. Um, at least one more hour. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, me, let me finish with this. So, I, um, you know, I had uh, a few months ago, um, I just really, I had been studying about, you know, where it says, you know, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You know, and, and it just stood out to me that, you know, okay, why? You know, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's not exactly the response that I'm looking for from God. That's not exactly what I think is, you know, I, I want God to come and lay everybody out, kill my enemies, transport me into a totally different area, then prepare a feast, you know, for me. But he prepares a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. You know, what's up with that? You know, that's not exactly, you know, what I would think. So I, I think I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to I'm not going to harp on that because that's not the point I want to get at. The point I want to get at is what I see also as being relevant is he prepares a table, not a desk. Lots of times we feel like when we're going through a situation, you know, all our enemies are around, I need to be delivered from this situation, we turn to a desk. We turn to studying, we turn to researching, we turn to, I'm trying to, and that's an easy thing to do now, because you've got YouTube, you've got you know, all kind of things right there at your disposal. You can do a specific search for anything that you want. It doesn't matter what it is, it might be something way out there. I guarantee if you go and do a search for it, how to be delivered from 
blah, 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 blah. It's going to be there. There's probably going to be a slew of sermons there that have, you know, 1.4 million uh, views, you know, 500,000 subscribers. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. But he, did, he is not preparing a desk for you whenever you're in the middle of your circumstance. He's preparing a, he's preparing a table for you that you can sit down face-to-face with him and learn straight from him. See him face-to-face, be in his presence, be a habitation for him, have a feast right then and there. We have, we have the option, I promise you, as soon as you sit down at that table, just like, just like he did for Moses, when the glory cloud just came and covered the doorway so nothing could come, as soon as you start, as soon as you make the decision, he's pulled the chair out for you at the table, and it's up to you to sit down at the table. He didn't come, he's not coming up to you, picking you up by the shoulders, sitting you down, strapping you in your little seatbelt, you know, saying, you are going to sit here and eat with me. He's not doing that at all. He's prepared. He's got it all laid out for you. He's sitting there ready and waiting. He's got the chair pulled out, you know, for you as well and saying, if you'll just come and spend some time with me. You know, if I want to spend some time, you know, Pastor Mark, what do I need to do? Call you and we'll say, hey, let's get together. Why do we overcomplicate getting in the presence of God? It doesn't have to be complicated. Call out to him. Jesus. It's all in his name. He's right here. He's with us. He's in us. He is in you. You just have to call out his name, the name of Jesus. And I promise you, because I, I see it. And it's not because I'm anything at all remotely super spiritual by any means, as I've really tried to demonstrate. You know, I'm not. You know, but I can, I promise you at a, at a moment's notice, I can raise my hands and I can say, Father, I need you. God, I love you. God, I need a touch from you. God, I need your presence. I need to feel your love surround me. And he is faithful because you know what? He wants to be with you. You're not trying to convince God. It's your self-righteousness did not save you, so your self-righteousness will not keep you either. We don't have to maintain a certain level of self-righteousness in order to maintain the presence of God. God's not interested in your self-righteousness. He's interested in you wanting to spend time with Him because He's interested in spending time with you. And that's what it's all about. And it's when we do that, you know, that again, just the Holy Spirit can just move. And we don't realize how much the Holy Spirit is doing in and through us. And and I'll just give this one quick last example. Um, Todd White is somebody that I listened to and uh, somebody had asked him uh, one time, what's one of the best testimonies uh, that he had? And so he shared this one. Uh, He was at a conference, I think it was. And um, he was greeting people either before or after and this little girl I think he, he said she's like 8 or 10 years old you know came running up to him and he was in the hallway outside the auditorium and uh, she said uh, Mr. Todd, Mr. Todd uh, will you come meet my dad and so he, you know he's a very nice guy so he's like yeah sure absolutely let me, let me come meet your dad so she grabs him by the hand and you know they start going through the halls you know trying to find her dad finally she finds uh, her family and her dad's with her family and her dad's eyes just light up when he sees uh, Todd. And he just runs up to him and says, you know, reaches out his hand, shakes his hand. And he said, man, he said, I just can't thank you enough, you know, for what you did. And Todd, you know, 
like we would all want to be, you know, super spiritual, saying, well, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You know, we've got our little, you know, phrases, you know, or whatever. Again, we try to keep our, you know, our humility, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, as he said, he did three times. God kept saying, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Todd's like, it's not me, it's not me. And finally, the, uh, the guy says, can I just tell you, you know, what happened? And Todd's like, yeah, sure. And um, the guy said that he had been struggling uh, with anxiety, stress, depression, fear, uh, you name it. And they were sit- he was sitting in at the dinner table and he just, he had an attack and he just couldn't take it anymore. And he decided right then and there he was going to take his life. And he w- got up from the dinner table with this, with this family, got up from the dinner table, walks into the adjoining room, living room, whatever, and there's uh, a desk on there, uh, a desk in there, um, and he reaches behind the desk to get his gun. As he reaches behind the desk to get his gun, there's a computer on that desk. He bumps the, he bumps the desk as he's reaching behind it to get his gun while the screen, you know, I guess was black or whatever. So the screen comes, it wakes up. Whether it's miraculous or it just happened naturally, I don't know. Point being is the screen just popped up and it was Todd White speaking on YouTube. And he was just talking about identity, you know, just talking about, you know, who we are, you know, in Christ, how we can't, you know, follow after the lies of the enemy, um, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff, just building up. Again, nothing super spiritual or profound. Definitely wasn't anything catered specifically to this guy. But this guy heard it, and something in the presence that was being carried, the anointing that was being carried, ministered to this guy so much, he dropped to his knees right then and there and gave his heart to God and completely turned his life around. And so that's what he's thanking Todd, you know, for is that just, man, thank you for being faithful, you know, for, for doing this. You know, even though, even though we may not always think that what we're saying or doing is profound, like Amy, like Amy's word, even though we may not see something natural, because Todd had no clue until he ran into this guy, I think it was like a year later, you know, that he, that he found out that this had happened. We don't know the people that we're impacting, the lives that are being touched, we don't, we don't always get to see it. You know, sometimes it's awesome when we pray for somebody and there's just an instant manifestation, they're healed, they're set free, whatever it might be, and you're like, yes, and you feel super spiritual, you got your cape flying, you know, behind you, you know, you've arrived, you've done it. But you don't understand sometimes how much planting, how much sowing, how much watering has been going into that person sometimes before you came along at the right moment and got to reap the harvest. Same as it is sometimes you're just planting and sowing and not seeing anything, but somebody else just comes along and just says, hey, God loves you. And boom, you know, the work is done, you know, but, you know, we don't always get to see. So the point being is, is we can't be seeking after the manifestation. We can't be seeking after it. We're open to it and we move in it. We flow with him as he flows through us. But it's all about the presence of God. It's all about having his habitation. It's all about him being in us and us being in him. And that is when the spirit flows. That is when the spirit, you know, does the work. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty much, you know, all I wanted to say um, is just, and again, just the key point is it's not our self-righteousness that saves us. It's not our self-righteousness that keeps us. And to not to not despise the process, you know, of what we're going through. Is it of God? No. But can God use it? Absolutely. You know. And so, until His timing comes, until we see that breakthrough come, just trust and know that He is good. Call on the name of God, 
And, you know, something else too is there's a scripture verse that says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The first part of that process is submitting yourselves to him. But we oftentimes skip that part of it and just go straight to resisting, you know, resisting the devil, you know, so that he'll flee. That's part of it. But if you're not first submitting to him, we don't have the ability in our own strength to resist the devil. We can keep up with it for a short time, but it's, it's, you're gonna wear yourself out and you might end up being worse off than where you were you know, in the first place. But if you resist him through the submitting first to him, that is when the devil will flee. And that is when you can start to see him at work on your behalf. And that is when you will see, I promise you, the victory come into your life. So, but anyway, that's, that's pretty much what I wanted to, what I wanted to share.